Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, An Anchor for the Soul, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Hebrews. Here's Pastor Nick. Or people who are self-employed, that it kept their workaholism in check. It didn't let them just work all the time, nonstop. So let me say this as well. I think this is an important counterpoint to this, and that is that the Bible is not anti-work. I want that to be very clear. The Bible's not anti-work. Quite the opposite. The Bible elevates work as an inherently good thing, as a virtuous thing. And the Bible actually has nothing to say about people who are lazy. The Proverbs put laziness and slothfulness in the category of wickedness. So there's nothing good about being lazy. In fact, it says that if someone is unwilling to work, then they shouldn't eat not unable to work, but unwilling. I mean, it's saying work is good, not working, and being lazy is not good. The first time we see God, for example, in the opening chapters of the Bible, what's he doing? He's working, he's creating, he's making stuff. And when it comes to God creating man, he doesn't just speak man into existence like he does with everything else. No, he gets his hands dirty. Picture of God creating man is a God with dirt under his fingernails. He gets his hands dirty. He digs in the dirt and he forms man out of the dust of the earth and then breathes life into him. In other words, God is a God who works. The other thing is this, they're in paradise. After he created the man and the woman, God gave them a job. And what that means is that work existed in paradise before sin and curse came into the world. In other words, work is not a curse. Work is inherently good. And the Bible calls us to think about work in terms of calling, in terms of calling that God has called us to subdue the earth, to manage it and cultivate it for the good of other people. In other words, your work matters very much. In fact, your work matters to God. And you can work in such a way that you serve God through your work, no matter what your work is. So I just want to be clear, the problem is not with work. The problem is that many of us have a tendency to let our relationship with our work get totally out of balance and out of whack. We live in a culture that encourages us to overwork. It celebrates workaholism and overwork. And the fact that the Sabbath Keeping the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments that tells us that a culture or a society like ours that encourages people to overwork is just as brutal and just as wrong as a society that encourages stealing or encourages adultery or encourages lying or killing. And so what this tells us about the nature of rest is that when you rest, it is a declaration of freedom. When you rest, it is a declaration of freedom. And anyone who overworks is a slave, a slave to something or to someone. But when you put your work down, it's in essence saying, I am free, I am not a slave. In other words, to rest is a revolutionary act. And so when the people of Israel, when they came into the promised land, into Canaan, and they put a limit on how much they were allowed to work, and they set aside a day for rest and for worship, that was a declaration of freedom, that we are no longer slaves. And the same is true for me and for you. When you rest, it is a declaration of freedom. It is you saying, I do not need to overwork in order to earn my identity, in order to prove myself. I am a free person because my identity is found in Christ and I am secure in him. 
The other way, though, that rest is talked about and the Sabbath is talked about in the Bible is in terms in regard to how God rested after the creation of the world. That's mentioned here, by the way, in chapter 4, verse 4. It says, he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And that aspect of rest is what I'm talking about when I say that rest is about satisfaction. See, it's interesting to consider the fact that God rested. Why did God rest? Was he tired? Did he get all tuckered out from all that creating stuff? Was he tired emotionally? Was he tired physically? Of course not. God doesn't get tired. Bible even says that. God is not a man that he should get tired. We get tired. But here's what the Bible's saying. That God rested even though he wasn't tired. And that is a pattern for us for why we should rest too. So then why did God rest even though he wasn't tired? If you go back to the story of creation, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, especially Genesis chapter 2, you'll see that the reason God rested he was, was because satisfied. he was satisfied. See, God could have just kept on creating more stuff. I mean, I always think you created a duck-billed platypus. He could have put a duck-bill on some other stuff too, right? I mean, you could have all kinds of stuff with duck-bills on it. I'm sure he could have been even more creative, could have kept on going, making more stuff. But yet at one point, he, he looked at what he created and he said, it is good. And even though he could have done more, he stopped. Now, I don't know, maybe you're like me. Now, I personally, I like to work. I, lo- I love working. I enjoy it. I don't get tired. I, in fact, I, I just really like doing it. And so the question is, well, hey, if I'm not tired, then why should I take a break? Why should I rest? The reason is because rest is more than you think it is. Rest isn't about just physical or mental or emotional exhaustion. God rested and he wasn't tired at all. The reason is because rest It's about being satisfied. It's about being content. Now, on the other hand, if you're resting all the time, then you're totally missing the point of this, right? Like if you're like, I'm super good at resting. In fact, I don't even have a job because I love resting and I've got this one nailed. In fact, I'm just going to sleep through the rest of the sermon because this is not for me. Well, let me remind you of this. This, The commandment, which is about uh, keeping the Sabbath, you know what it says? Six days shall you work. Now we work five maybe, right? Six days shall you work, and on the seventh day you shall take a rest. It shall be a Sabbath unto the Lord. So the rest is more than we think it is. Rest is a declaration of freedom. Rest is a declaration of satisfaction and contentment. You could say that rest, in a way, is an act of faith. Rest is an act of faith because when you set down your work in order to rest and worship, You are saying that you trust God to provide for you. You don't only trust in your own hard work. But it's this issue of satisfaction that is particularly problematic. You see, it's this issue of satisfaction that makes rest a much more elusive thing than it might seem like at first. And that brings us to our second point, and that is the kind of rest which relaxing can't give you. Try to follow the reasoning of this section with me, if you will. It it can be a little hard to follow, so, so let's try and follow the reasoning of this argument here. He's saying this, what you need is rest. But it's not just physical rest that you need, and it's not just social rest that you need. What you need is something deeper than that. Because look, he says, God gave you the Sabbath. The Sabbath is physical rest, and God gave you the land of Canaan. That's social rest. And yet, there is still a restlessness deep down inside of you, which you cannot shake, which you cannot get rid of. That's what he's talking about in verses 8 and 9. Read it with me. It says, For if Joshua had given them rest, then God would not have spoken of another day later on. 
So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Joshua was the one who led the Israelites into the promised land. So he's, what he's saying is this. Beyond the Sabbath day, beyond Canaan, there is still another kind of rest that you need, that I need. He said there is a truer, there is a deeper, there is an ultimate rest. This is the kind of rest that no amount of relaxing can ever give you. You could take all the vacations in the world. It won't solve this restlessness inside of you. So what is this rest that it's talking about? It is rest from what has been called the deep inner murmur of self-reproach. Let me say it again. The deep inner murmur of self-reproach. Now that's a phrase that I got from a writer named Judith Shulevitz. And in this article that she wrote, she was talking about rest. And what she was saying is that most people believe that all you need to do in order to rest is to stop working. You just stop working and there you go, you rested. But she says, but that's not true. Rest is more complicated than that. And what she says is because there's a deep inner rest that we need which no form of recreation can give you. You could take all the vacations in the world. You could take a month off from work and just sleep for a month. You could retire and just be independently wealthy and live in complete peace and tranquility, but none of that will still the inner restlessness inside of you, the deep inner murmur of self-reproach. What is the inner murmur of self-reproach? It's that feeling inside of you that you are not okay that you are not okay, that you are not good enough. It's that thing inside of you that is always making you feel like you need to prove yourself to, to yourself or to other people or even to God. And that's why it says, so there remains, even beyond Canaan, even beyond taking a day off of work, there remains a deeper rest, a rest for the people of God. And then he goes on to say, for whoever has entered God's rest also rests from his works as God did from his. Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. Pastor Nick has written a book called The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. In this book, Pastor Nick deals directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities. Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are wrong? And is there any actual proof that God exists or that the Bible is trustworthy? Pastor Nick addresses these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or has concerns about these topics. And it is a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Christianity, wherever books are sold or visit nickkady.org. To celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as our gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support Beset Free Radio at besetfreeradio.com. And now, back to today's message. The rest that you need is rest from your works, not work, works with an S. So not your job, works. What, what are these works that it's talking about? Well, some people have called it the work beneath your work. The work beneath your work. The thing that you're really trying to get at through your work. Let me explain it to you. The reason that a lot of people overwork isn't because they love their job. It isn't because they necessarily need the money. The reason why a lot of people overwork 
is because they're looking to their work as a way to prove themselves, to prove that they have value and significance and meaning. And that's why people overwork. It's because they're desperately seeking for significance and they're looking for their job, for their vocation, for their performance to give that to them. You can do this with other things as well. For example, some people try to be perfect parents, right? You got Pinterest moms, Instagram dads being the perfect parents. They want everybody to see it because at the end of the day, the reason they do it isn't just because they love their kids. Now, I don't doubt that they love their kids, but there's something more to it than that, isn't there? There's a reason why they need to have everybody know about it because there's a way in which they do it because they're trying to prove themselves, Look, I really am a good person. Look, I really have justified my existence. Paul the Apostle talks about this in Philippians chapter 3, how before he became a Christian, he was incredibly religious. He says that he took great pride in being super zealous for his religion. But now as a Christian, he looks back at that and he says, you know what? The truth is, the reason I was so zealous about my religion, the reason I was so into it, wasn't just because I, I really love God and I love studying the scriptures. There was a work beneath my work. There was a real reason. And, and honestly, the, the base reason for why I was doing that was because I was using religion as my desperate attempt to impress other people and to prove myself, even to prove myself to God. See, that's the work beneath our work. That, that concept of the work beneath our work, it's seen very vividly in the movie chariots of fire maybe some of you remember it's a bit of an old movie now but it's the true story of two british olympic athletes eric liddell and harold abrams true story eric liddell was a christian in fact he was a missionary to china in fact he ended up dying in a prison in china because he was a missionary now eric liddell and harold abrams they were teammates on this olympic team that went to paris and they were friends also but the movie tells the story of how these two men approached running they approached their sport in a very different way. Both of them were very good runners, and both of them were candidates to win medals. But the difference between them was that Harold Abrams was doing it out of a need and a desire to prove himself. And because of that, Harold Abrams was constantly stressed out. It was almost as if he even hated running, but he was a slave to it because this was the one thing in his life that he was really good at, and he needed to succeed at this because if he didn't succeed at this, then who was he? He needed to prove himself, and this was the way that he was doing it. So when Harold Abrams ran, he was motivated by fear, fear of failure, fear of losing his identity. And at one point in the movie, he talks about that fear, and he kind of shows his hand, and he reveals his heart, and he says, you know, when that gun goes off, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. What a terrible way to live. What a crushing burden. Eric Liddell, on the other hand, the Christian guy, he had a completely different attitude about running. At one point in the movie, he says, look, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Not I earn his pleasure. When I run, I feel God's pleasure. For Eric Liddell, running was pure joy. Running wasn't about trying to prove himself. Running was just running. It was something that he enjoyed doing. And because of that, he was free. You see, he was free. For him, running was just running. He could enjoy it for what it was. He didn't have to win. But for Harold Abrams, running was more than just running. It wasn't just, it wasn't just running a race. It was the way in which he was trying to still the inner murmur of self-reproach. See, here's the point. 
Until you rest from the work beneath your work, you will never truly rest. You can sleep for days. You can take all the vacations in the world. But there's a different kind of rest that you need. You need the true Sabbath rest that no form of relaxation, no form of recreation can ever give you. So where do you find that rest? Look at the text. It's found in verses 2 and 3. It says, For indeed, the gospel, the good news, was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, as it was not met with faith in those who heard it. But we who have believed enter that rest. We who have believed. Believed what? Believed the good news. Believed the gospel. Believing the gospel brings you into that rest. You see, the land of Canaan, the Sabbath observance, all of these things were just shadows. They were just pictures. They were just foreshadowings which pointed to the true and ultimate rest, the deep rest for our souls, which is only found in and through Jesus Christ because of what he did on the cross. As Jesus hung on the cross, he declared, it is finished. What is finished? The work justifying you before God. He did it. He accomplished it. You don't have to do it. Because of that, you can rest. See, Jesus suffered the restlessness of the cross so that you and I could have the rest that comes from knowing that we are right with God. Jesus took all of your sin upon himself. He took the judgment for your sin. He suffered the restlessness of separation from God, the restlessness of judgment so that we could be brought into relationship with God. See, because of what Jesus did for you on the cross, you can have the deep rest, which comes from knowing that when God looks at you, not only does he accept you, but he is pleased with you. You don't have to prove yourself to him. You don't have to earn his love. Just like when my kids come to me, they don't have to earn my love. I just love them. And that's how it is. If you are in Christ, you come to him and he sees you as a beloved child. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to earn his love, he's given that to you. He's given you love and favor as a gift through Jesus. And verse 10 says that when you enter that rest, that true Sabbath rest for your soul, it is at that point that you can rest from your works just as God rested from his. You can rest from your works of trying to prove yourself and justify yourself. And when you really embrace that, then you will be free. You'll be free like Eric Liddell to let running just be running. To let work just be work and parenting just be parenting rather than the things that you are using to prove yourself and justify yourself. And the way you get that rest is by believing the gospel, by trusting in and relying on and clinging to Jesus Christ and what he did for you. But there's one more thing before we go, and that's this, the strife of entering this rest. Now look at what it says in verse 11 of chapter 4. It says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. That's an interesting choice of words, isn't it? Strive to enter into rest. In other words, strain, stretch yourself, strive to enter into rest. What's the writer doing here? What he's doing is he's returning to where he began. He's returning to this conversation about how the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they turned away from God and as a result, they missed out on God's rest. And the reason he brings this up is to tell these people, hey, don't make the same mistake that they made. When things got hard, they turned away from God and as a result, they didn't get to experience God's rest. But here's the thing. The rest that they missed out on was just the promised land but you face a much bigger ordeal here. You see, if you miss out on God's rest, the rest that you will miss out on is the salvation of your soul. Don't let that happen. That would be a tragedy. 
So he says in in chapter 3, verse 12, he says, So therefore take care, take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to turn away from the living God. So in other words, just as believing the gospel is the way that you enter into God's rest, unbelieving is the thing which will keep you from experiencing God's rest. What is unbelief? I like how one writer put it. He said this, unbelief is not the inability to understand. Unbelief is the unwillingness to trust. It's not the intellect that's in question. You might say, well, sometimes I struggle with doubts. Of course you do. All of us struggle with doubts. That's inherent to what it means to have faith. Is that of course there are doubts. But see, unbelief is when you, when you go to the point of the will and you say, I'm not willing. I'm not willing to bow my knee before God. I will be my own Lord and Master. That's why he says in verse 13, but exhort each other every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's interesting, right? The deceitfulness of sin. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that for some people, what they call unbelief isn't doubt. What they call unbelief is something in their life which they knew, if I became a Christian, this thing I'm into isn't pleasing to God and I would have to give it up and I I don't really want to give it up. And so what they do instead is that they're hard in their heart against God. I've heard it said, and in, in my experience, I found this to be true, that most people who reject Jesus don't reject him for intellectual reasons. They reject him for personal reasons. That's what he's talking about here. And so the writer is pleading with us that we would strive to make sure that we enter into this rest, that we don't miss out on this great salvation in Christ. So how do we do that? How do we strive to enter into this rest? Well, the answer is found over and over. I told you four times he repeats it in this section. He says this, today, if you hear his voice, today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. Today, if you hear God's voice, if God is speaking to you today, then don't ignore it. Don't put it off. If God is speaking to you, you need to respond. The word today is used three times in this section. There's an urgency. There's, a, there's an inherent urgency in this because there's no guarantee of tomorrow. That's too great of a risk for you to take to put this off. If God is speaking to you today, you need to respond. Don't harden your heart. Don't put it off. And here's why he says, and I'll finish with this. He says at the end of chapter four, because the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to your very core. It gets right down to the root of your thoughts and intentions. And no creature can hide from his sight. But we are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's a really interesting verse when it comes to talking about the word of God. But I want you to see that that's not meant to be particularly comforting. Quite the opposite, actually. Do you see what it's saying? It's saying that nothing is hidden from God's sight. God sees everything. And not only what you do, he also sees the thoughts. He sees the dark places that nobody, that never reach the surface. He sees it all. And one day, you are going to have to give an account to him. And here's the deal. Either you will be found in Christ, in which case Jesus has taken all of the judgment for every wrong that you have done in thought, word, or deed, or you will be on your own to face that judgment yourself. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus suffered the restlessness of judgment on your behalf, the restlessness of separation from God on your behalf so that you can have the rest 
of knowing that God loves you and accepts you and that your sins have been forgiven. Can you even begin to imagine how much love he has for you, that he was willing to do that for you? So listen, today, if you hear his voice, if you hear God speaking to you and calling you, don't harden your heart. Respond to him. Receive his love and grace. Believe the gospel and enter into the rest that he has prepared for you. Amen? Heavenly Father, we we thank you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for the rest that you have given us through Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you took our place and you suffered restlessness on our behalf so that we could have rest, the deep rest of the soul, which is found in and through Jesus and what he's done for us. So, Lord, today I pray for anybody here who says, yeah, this is speaking to me. Lord, I pray for all of us who hear your word today that we wouldn't harden our hearts, but that we would respond. And I pray that in Jesus' name. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. 